Welcome to Fiat Lex. I'm Corey. Wait, no, now you say a podcast. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Actually, this will be a good introduction to our um, today's episode, which is about mistakes. There we go. Uh, there we go. So this is uh, Fiat Lex. And it is a podcast about dictionaries written by people who write dictionaries. I am still Corey. And I am Steve Klein Adler. Thank you for coming. We're going to keep that cut because it uh, demonstrates what we're going to be talking about today. So today we are going to start and end with mistakes. Yeah, uh, we make mistakes. Corey and I own up to our mistakes. It should be noted that we are talking to you off the cuff, even though it's not live. It's being recorded. We haven't scripted out what we're going to say. It's very conversational. Yeah, (laughs) in case you haven't figured that out already. We definitely don't. We have basic show notes, but in terms of what we do and what we say, it just kind of comes as it as it comes, which means that we occasionally misspeak, as we did in episode five. Yes, there are several things in episode five that um, we're going to point out. And it's also important to point out, I think, that this type of podcast contrasts from when we write articles or books as we have or are preparing material uh, that is researched. You know, in, in that case, we will fact check what we've written. Uh, we're not writing off the cuff. It's being heavily edited. So I, I, I challenge anyone, especially people who like to do gotcha with people making speech errors, try talking at length for 15 or 20 minutes and see how many speech errors or actual factual errors you make. Um, it'll probably be higher than you think. Uh, and, you know, we we own up to our mistakes. Yeah, because that's the human thing to do. So so, Steve, do you want to start with your mistake? It's a smaller mistake, yes. actually. Let's start with uh, episode five. Um, we were uh, responding to Snitty's question about our avatar, uh, which was a mistake that heaped on top of a mistake. Uh, th- <laughs> that, 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 that series of symbols, which means ugh, uh, started as a joke. Um, last October, I included it in a tweet to uh, Emily Brewster at Merriam-Webster, and it consisted of the schwa symbol in the IPA and the middle English yog. And while we were prepping the icon for the uh, uh, broadcast, the yog somehow transmogrified into an IPA edge. And when I looked at it, I'm like, oh, that's an IPA symbol. And then Patrick Taylor, who is the etymologist for the fifth edition of the American Heritage Dictionary, sent me an, uh, an email saying, uh, um, look at what you look at that and so we did and i'm like oh i said it was ipa and it wasn't that second symbol is a middle english yog which stood for several sounds including the velar fricative it is not the ipa symbol for the je sound of pleasure and i fixed the avatar with a fancier way more middle englishy looking yo yes so there you go and thank you patrick for pointing out that to me yeah so that so that was the first minor error the second error it's not so much an error, really. It was, it was more of an antedating. It was an antedating. An antedating, for those who don't know, A-N-T-E, not A-N-T-I, um, is when you usually use it in dictionaries. You say, this is the first written use of this word, and an antedating is someone finds an earlier written use of that word. So, on the Twitters, Jack Lynch wrote, I'll be a spoil sport for Corey Stamper and Steve Kleinedler by pointing out a few earlier discussions of hyphens and syllabification. Now, 
You'll remember in episode five, I nerded out about a 1705 book I found that laid out all of the hyphenation and syllabification rules for English, which was amazing to me because, as you know, because you listened to episode five, Steve and I talked about how we kind of come up with those on our own. So, Jack said, the earliest I know is Richard Lloyd, the schoolmaster's auxiliaries from 1654. That is almost a 50-year antedating. He says, not abrupt, but abrupt, not cognize, but cognize, which I immediately wigged out about because I didn't even realize that there was a word cognize as opposed to recognize. Woo! So, Jack gave us more uh, information. He was a gentleman and a scholar, continues to be, and he sent me both uh, Richard Lloyd's book and then John Chalmers' later book, where he talks a little bit about more detail. So that's in 1687. So uh, I have in front of me Richard Lloyd. We have um, all sorts of information here on syllabification of scholars communicating knowledge of putting syllabalizers to set forms. Um, so if you uh, are interested, the earliest that Jack has found so far, 1654. It should be pointed out that Jack is also not some uh, rando. He's actually a professor of English at Rutgers University, and he's literally a scholar. Uh, he's a Johnson scholar, and he's written many fantastic books, including recently, You Could Look It Up, which is a great look at different kinds of reference works throughout the ages. Uh, he is someone, uh, he is an authority on this uh, topic, and we thank him for uh, giving us this information. Yeah, and he, and he was also willing to share uh, PDFs of things with me, which was fabulous, including this quote from Chalmers in 1687, when he was talking about how to uh, syllabify your words, quote, the only way for ladies and such who have not had grammar erudition is to observe carefully these following directions. So thank you, John Chalmers, for educating us ladies and those who have not had grammar erudition. Uh, Jack finishes up by saying on Twitter, there's the almost metaphysical distinction most 18th century orthography guides say hyphens divide syllables, while most dictionaries say they join them. Um, and I think I responded with him the mind-blown gif. So, so those are our two errata, or agenda, errata, to open up the, the show. And so that leads into a, a wider discussion of what happens when there are mistakes in uh, dictionaries or other reference works. Um, dictionaries are very expansive reference works. The American Heritage Dictionary, the English language, for example, is close to 2,100 pages long. I guarantee you it is impossible to produce a book of that length without some sort of error creeping in. It's uh, impossible to produce a three-paragraph email without an error creeping in. So, so yeah, just for perspective. So what do we do? What do a dictionary editors do uh, when we find a error? Uh, an error. Ha, huh, I just said a error. <laughs> See what I mean? That was naturally produced too. <laughs> so there are a bunch of different ways that uh, we handle it. Uh, if it's an online dictionary, that's one entirely different process. If it's a print dictionary, it's a different process, but essentially what underlies both 
is you have to document it. You have to note where it is, what printing it is, what reference it's in. You have to note what change was made, who made it, when they made it, what data file it got into, what printing it got into. And then you need to have a whole bunch of, you know, fellow lexicographer nerds verify that that change was made accurately and was not screwed up again somewhere along the seven or eight step process from making the change to getting it into print. And back in the day, and by back in the day, I mean until relatively recently, the bulk, at least for us, the bulk, the bulk of these uh, mistakes, these corrigenda, were filed individually on note cards. And you would yep. have a shoebox full of note cards, and each note card would be on page such and such, add a comma at the entry, you know, after the word such and such. Yeah. And then there'd all be all these little notations on the side when it got put on pages, when it was checked, when you saw the proofs, that kind of thing. And then it would get filed to another shoebox. Right. It is... We... And then by making that 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 correction, you'd have a literal uh, a tear sheet uh, from a from an unbound copy of the dictionary. You'd rip out that page. You'd mark in red in the margin what the edit was. Mm -hmm. You'd submit it to production. We only recently, and by recently in the last couple of years, have moved all this onto PDFs with PDF markups. But for until very recently, um, most of th these types of changes were done on paper in red ink, passed off for production, mm -hmm. proofed back and forth. Yeah. We at Merriam-Webster, there were two different ways you could do it. You could do the note cards. And, and honestly, if you go to Merriam-Webster's offices and ever visit, which you never will because you can't. You will see we have banks and banks and banks and banks and banks of card catalogs, and some of those are for citations, but the vast majority of them, the other ones are for notes, and those are corriganda notes, those are new entry notes, those are, and we call corriganda notes pinks, um, and then new entries are buffs, and those just get filed and kept forever because you would not believe how easy it is to reintroduce some 40-year-old error into a data file by accident. So you need to have this long-standing paper paper path to go through. I am curious. Mm -hmm. You say corrigenda and I say corrigenda should Dare I look it up? Oh, you can you can look it up and then I'll talk about the other uh ways that we make Corrections, which is actually on the galleys themselves. So when you're actually doing, so let me let me define some terms for you. Galley sheets are, if you're doing a print dictionary, they are 11 by 17 pieces of paper that are, uh, they used to be printed glossy. And it is one column from one dictionary page, triple spaced. And what you can do then is when we are doing a full revision, you use different um, Stabilo grease pencils to mark on those galleys. Everyone has a different color what you're inserting. So, for instance, the etymologist can put a little carrot in and insert an etymology into a, an entry that doesn't have one. Or our dating editors can cross out an old date and add a new date in a different color. And we, and we also keep all those galley pages because those galley pages will sometimes be the only record of a typo correction because you're in the middle of production. You can't, you're not going to stop and go, all right, I'm going to also make a pink for this and note that this was done. And so, so we also keep galleys. So 
Uh, you'll also find galleys going back to the 70s, 80s. Actually, we have a bunch of galleys from the 50s and 60s, you know, bunged into a, a drawer in the basement. Our Which, process was slightly different in that beginning with the fourth edition, it went completely electronic. So all of our editorial uh, changes were done directly in the database and, you okay. know, annotated in fields as to what was done so we can backtrack and everything. But for the fourth edition and then again for the fifth uh, edition, the pages were completely rerun. And part of that mm. for, for the fourth edition was the move to color. We had to anyway. Oh, um, right. Because the fourth edition was completely in color. Yeah. The headwords are in, in color and everything. So it was completely rerun. But that has its own, I don't know if it's a downside, but it means you have to check every character, character yes. by character, because it's not just inserts. The entire page is being rerun. Yeah. All right. So is it core agenda or core agenda? Core agenda. I'm sorry. <laughs> No. So I haven't. I Okay. So we I didn't mispronounce anything in the last episode. So we have to keep the index going. But I have an excuse. Latin. Latin. Yeah. It's all those stupid years of classical Latin yeah. just weighing down on me. It's been anglicized by the very, very small percentage of people <laughs> of English speakers who actually use this term of nerds. Yeah. So what? So here's something that's interesting about the way that corrections are made that nobody thinks about is that up until everything was put in electronically and we did stuff in the database, you had to be essentially a paleographer to be able to accurately render changes because you're reading everybody else's handwriting. And sometimes the handwriting is not so easy to read. Additionally, what I was speaking about was the changeover at edition times. Within printings, all of this is still done on paper. So mm. when there's a new printing or a new copyright update of the dictionary, it's like someone on this page died. Right. That <laughs> opens up the page. So we get to make as many changes as we want on that page. Yeah. And for later printings within the same edition, that's how a lot of change comes in because you can't open 2,000 pages. It would just yeah. be time and cost prohibitive. But you can do a couple hundred every printing. Uh known typos that you've found right. and um, death dates, tenure dates, mm -hmm. uh, disintegrating countries, countries being joined together, what have you. <laughs> new, new, new currencies. Currencies. Ugh, ugh, currencies. Uh, uh, Pluto being demoted, all of this. <laughs> uh, so you open up that page and you go and you look at every word that falls in that page and you see all the possible changes that can be made on that page. But you have to maintain the line length. It's got to begin and end the same. Yep. So if you're adding a whole new entry, you have to come up with ways of making other entries shorter yep sometimes by deleting the word that is in a phrase where you don't really need it yep. pulls back a line yep or sometimes you uh cut an example sentence that you feel like doesn't have to be there sometimes what we there have been a couple of instances where it's been such a drastic addition in a in a copyright printing that we actually will look for things like can we pull an illustration like a not an example sentence, an actual drawing. Is there a drawing we can pull? Because that'll give us three or four lines. Ours are in the margins, so we can't do that. Uh, but <laughs> what we can do, and other other th uh, other things, even though there were far fewer geographical entries in the mm -hmm. fifth and there were in the fourth, and again from the fourth from the third, because the third included basically every suburb of every you know major American city. Oh, wow. But sometimes you can pull like an obscure biographical or geographical entry whose inclusion is less important than the actual right. vocabulary. There's yeah. a lot of different tricks you can do. But that's also, I mean, each printing that comes out is slightly different from the previous printing. Yes, it sure is. So so I'm, I'll give you an object lesson or an example in what this all and how these things all conspire to uh, screw up something. And that is in Webster's Second New International Dictionary, unabridged, 
which came out in 1934, we had an entry, uh, D-O-R-D, Dord. And that entry was based on an addition that somebody had made, put it on a note card, they wrote it down. Another person entered it in, went through, you know, 10 steps of compositing, everything else. And then in uh, 1937, I believe, there was another note in the file. It said, this word doesn't exist. Dord doesn't exist. And it doesn't exist. It is a ghost word. What happened was the person who put the word Dord on their note card, it was supposed to be capital D or lowercase d. And it stood for density. But when you write these things out, you use proofreader's marks to note this is going to be in boldface, this is going to be italicized. What they did was they put one wavy boldface line under all three of those words, D or D, which signifies that it's one word. So the original definer wrote D or D, but put one boldface wavy line under the whole thing. And the next copy editor read it correctly as Dord, because that's how it had been written, and entered it in. And it went through, I don't know, between seven and ten editing passes. And everyone just looked at it and said, yep, yep, okay, yep, yep, that's fine. It wasn't until 1937 when one of the science editors said, there's no word Dord that means density. And then someone went back and looked at the card and went, oh, crap, it's D or D. Now, that was in 1937. But because we could not open up that page for years, it stayed in, I think, for another 10 years. And so it eventually was taken out of the second. But we knew that it was an error in the second for almost a decade before we could actually open up that page and take it out. So, and that's why if you write in and find an error that's actually an error, because a lot of times people write in saying they found an error that aren't really errors. But if you find an error, you will probably get a response that says that um, it will be uh, edited in the print edition as soon as production processes <laughs> allow, which is yeah. a great, you know, it, yeah. and it's true. Right. Um, I it's remember very the very first error that I made that ended up in the dictionary. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, boy. When we got the fourth edition, the first printings of the fourth edition in 2000 when it came out, uh -huh. um, and you know, you open up a book and you immediately find the one error on that page. Oh, Your yeah. Your eye goes to it, and it of might course. be the only error in the entire book. Right. Um, <laughs> Though if it's a dictionary, it's not the only yeah. error in the entire uh, book. Yeah. Well, yeah, if, it's, if it, it's an error that could be paradigmatic and it might exist elsewhere, right. and it turns out you found the only example of a single paradigmatic, <laughs> you know. Anyhow, I uh, I I entered. I, I was responsible for entering the word payphone in the fourth edition, okay. and um, I saw that instead of being classified as a noun, it was classified as an abbreviation. <laughs> I was mortified, and there was a simple explanation um, in in our in the database under the part of speech uh, segment. Um, all the options are alphabetically listed. Abbreviation mm -hmm. is the first, and amazingly. So when you started a, when you created a new entry, you had to choose the part of speech. And somehow out of the thousands of new words that we entered, this is the only one where we ac actually slipped up. <laughs> and didn't choose a part of yeah, speech and, and it, it defaulted just defaulted. To, yeah. yeah. So, but that was entirely my mistake. And uh, I was, uh, 
mortified, but you yeah. know, that, that that was yeah. an early rookie mistake. And that's okay. And you caught it. And I well, Eventually. after it was in print. <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, the other thing about mistakes in the dictionary is that there's not always human error behind them. People don't realize how much programmatic automation goes into creating a dictionary, especially in the early two thousands, where different programs were changing rapidly mm -hmm. and different ways of making corrections. Uh, where, you know, you're still looking at the different products, but looking at blues electronically is very different mm. than looking at old school blues on paper, which are blue right. with a yellow background <laughs> and smell like vinegar. Oh. And if you stare at them too long, when you look out in the oh, real world, there's a yellow tint. Yeah, you get this amazing after image. Oh, it's so weird. <laughs> so for a, in the early 2000s, there was a printing of the uh, uh, American Heritage High School Dictionary, which curiously... On pages that were in signatures that had a page that was edited. So not even just if it was on a page that had been edited. If there was an edited page in that signature, the whole signature, all instances of secondary boldface C, E, and Q all became small cap. What? C, E, and Q. Oh my God. Fortunately, we caught this on 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 like Final Blues. It didn't, it, it actually, no, they made a couple, they, they made books, but we, we didn't, you know, they, they didn't get used. We got a, uh, mm -hmm. the, the printer had to redo them, but it was such, and there was actually an explanation for it, but it was so Byzantine oh, yeah. and so bizarre and something you would have never thought to have looked for because it didn't happen in any entry that was actually edited. Yeah. Um, it, it that was that was an interesting uh we had something similar with um etymologies so one of the things i did because i'm a giant nerd is i would proofread the etymologies and we had something happen where every etymology that featured an an h dot character so that's an h with a dot underneath of it was rendered in bold face but you know the only way that you could really tell was by looking at the ascender on the H to see how thick it was and to see how heavy the dot under the H was. So I basically had this list of entries that had H dots in them, and I had to go through. And And the thing is, is when you see one boldface H dot, it takes a while for you, like your brain adjusts and you're like, oh, I can't tell how thick that ascender is anymore. I don't, I don't know. So I had to do all of that, and then um, they were like, well, we'll see what other programmatic issues we might have had in this conversion. And one of the issues we had, and this speaks to how complicated dictionary data is, is we had these, this standard programmatic way of expanding the uh, language names and etymologies. So if you look in a print dictionary, in an etymology, you're going to see it. It looks like code because everything's an abbreviation. That's the only way you can fit stuff in. So French is capital FR and from is lowercase fr dot. German is capital G. Uh, Danish is capital D-A-N. Dutch is capital D. I mean, it just sort of, you have this huge list. So we were expanding all of these for the online versions because no one's going to read, you know, uh, G fr dot uh fuel people are gonna be like i don't know what that means and you don't include etymologies because they're not spelled out so we expanded all of these and i was checking the expanded uh the expansions and what happened was the script had expanded all capital g's 
into German, which sounds normal, right? If it's in an etymology field and it's a capital G, then it should mean German. Except what it should have done was it should have looked for space G space expanded to space German space, because then we had all sorts of things like German lobal positioning system in the etymologies. And for whatever reason, the D-A-N, they should have done D-A-N space. And what ended up happening was they just did D-A-N. So all of these weird um, metaphors that we get from the book, the biblical book of Daniel were from the biblical book of Danish. So it was, yeah. So there are all sorts of errors that slip in that are not human error. It's just that's what happens in a programmatic expansion when you're trying to make things comprehensible. Dictionary data is really complex. So um, if you are a reader of a reference work, a dictionary otherwise, and you come across what you think is an error, Corey, what do you do? Well, Steve, I'm so glad you asked. The first thing you need to do is you need to make sure it's an actual error. What? Sometimes people say (laughs) errors are errors when they're not? I know. Shocking. Shocking it is. But for instance, I used to get comments all the time at Merriam-Webster, usually about once a month, from somebody absolutely outraged that we had used the word tranquility in a definition and spelled it with two L's because that is wrong. It is actually not wrong. If you go to the entry for tranquility, you will see that there's a two L variant sitting right there. So please make sure that it is in fact an error. If you read something that says the car careered around the curve in the dictionary and you get on your computer and start smashing your hands against the keyboard saying it should be careen, please check and make sure that it is not in fact at the verb career, which also means careen. Also, refer to Corey's book, uh, Word by Word, the entire chapter on posh, for example. Uh, <laughs> if, if, if you're correcting an etymology, especially uh, what you think is an acronym, uh, don't. <laughs> yeah, they're all wrong. So, so make sure it's an error. How do you know if something is, in fact, an error? Well, you need to verify it with facts. Opinions are not facts. Uh, So uh, when you are reporting an error, it really helps if you are a nice person about it. (laughs) You know, you would think this would be common sense, but it's not common sense. It's it's very difficult when you are a lexicographer and your entire life is spent in a cubicle alone in front of a computer by choice. It is kind of this weird monastic vibe we've got going on. And you open up your email and someone is uh, frothing with rage over something they perceive to be an error. Or maybe it actually is an error. Maybe it's a stupid typo. They do slip in. Stupid typos happen in all books. But it's one thing to have someone say, hey, I found this on page 24 and I think it's a typo. But it's another thing to say, how very dare you make a typo in the most holy of dictionaries. I can't believe they let idiots like you write these things. Because all I will do is make note of that on Twitter and point out what an absolute jerk you are. And as as a man, I rarely get mansplained in the way that I know Corey does very frequently. (laughs) Uh, I see some of the emails and tweets that she gets and there if you were writing to a dictionary editor who is a woman uh, and you are a man uh watch your tone 
if you go back and look at our at the Twitter feed where Jack Lynch uh, gave us the information about the antedating, when Corey said he was a gentleman and a scholar, he was just that. He was able to tell Corey, who is a woman, uh, as a man, he was able to explain, hey, I found this antedating and it was non-threatening. It wasn't rude. It was a really refreshingly nice way of reporting, hey, I know about this information. Here it is. Um, so, you know, be like Jack. Yeah, do be like Jack. The other thing you need to do when you report a dictionary error is do not ask for a free replacement dictionary. We don't give free replacement dictionaries for errors unless it's something like a printing error, like half of the letter M is printed upside down and bound that way. And especially don't ask for a replacement dictionary if you are reporting an error in a dictionary that is 80 years old, because my guess is we have updated it since then. So if you want a new dictionary, you can either go online and use the online one, which is probably updated more recently, or you can go buy a new dictionary. I know that is terrible and horrible, but lexicographers got to eat too. And on that note... <laughs> Speaking of food... Uh, so, uh, this has been our podcast on mistakes. Thank you for joining us. Yep. And we will continue to make mistakes. Keep you bringing, bring you back for more and more. Uh, rate us on iTunes. Send us emails. We like hearing from people. Send us dumb questions. Send us fun questions. Whatever. Just be nice. Just be nice. Be like Jack. Bye. Bye. Bye.